Manx Radio Podcasts, powered by Shaw. Well, hello, welcome to this week's Countryside Podcast with Kiri Kermit and myself, Simon Clark. And Kiri, you have been talking to people about grass, and there's so much more to it. I mean, people who have gardens who don't really like cutting the grass and have to do it as a chore. It's such a fine art in the world of farming when you're growing it for um you know for animals and stock isn't it oh it certainly is it's absolutely vital for the milk production or beef production and also getting the right types of grass the different species that grow the best and suit the soils here on the isle of man it's not an easy task no and people who are on the isle of man can get vast rewards as well <laughs> not sure if there's much money involved Absolutely. but there are lots um, from the uh, isle of man grassland societies and then there's so many different sections involved well that's right there's all it's not just silage it's, it's hay there's the best contractor you know the best managed beef and sheep farm it is a, it's a category for everyone to take part and you don't have to be a big farmer to actually get involved either you know even a small holding farm could uh, fit in quite nicely yeah and they had a you spoke to the chairman michael convegan also they had a judge from away did they yes they have a a, a judge come from away annually and uh, he was delighted to be asked to the isle of man and he, he thinks it's a, a great place he's seen some wonderful farming too Mm. And a worrying time for um, all livestock owners, the winter time, but particularly oh, yes. uh, sheep um, owners and, of course, um, the ones who have them on the hillsides as well, where the coldest uh, weather can be. I went and spoke to Anna Karush uh, from Mackled, who uh, farms a lot of sheep out uh, the plains of Mackled area. And, of course, a lot of it stretching out to the hills uh, around the mountain road and North Bruin places and well, touch wood, we've been a little bit lucky this year with the weather, um, but uh, to find out, you know, I found out from Anna that the trials and tribulations and the ups and downs of uh, looking after sheep on the hillside. But this snow is absolutely dreaded by everyone, mm. certainly up on those hills. Snyakta. Mm. <laughs> and also uh, eggs we've got. We're not going to eat them here live on the programme. No, but uh, it's a very popular diversification on many farms at the moment and Jackie Farragher has been one of the longest established egg producers and it's lovely to see her free-range hens scratching about in the in the paddocks up at Ballasur there in Andreas and um, what a great little business. It is. So here's Countryside with all the details in full. Manx Radio's Countryside is brought to you by NFU Mutual. <laughs> There are many aspects of farming here in the Isle of Man and one of them that's becoming more popular is egg production. I went along to Ballasur Farm in Andreas to catch up with Jackie Farragher, one of the most established egg producers on the island. Yeah, we've been going for 20 years this June. Yeah, so probably one of the longest on the island, yeah. So where did it all come about? It all happened uh, when the kids were little. I wanted something to do that would fit in with school and play school and all the other things, so... I thought I'd just keep a few hens and that would keep me going for an hour <laughs> uh, or two in the day. And then um, Stevie Corkle decided he would come out of eggs, so I took his on and the rest is history. And they're all free range here. You know, they're lovely out in the field there running about. we got cracking hen houses for them, though. Yes, we obviously 20 years ago they weren't free range, Kitty. We had a battery hen house then. And then when the new laws came in... We changed over to the free range, which, as you can see, is a success. You obviously supply some of the local stores, the Andreas shop and different things. You know, it's very important for the for local customers. Yes, a, a real small carbon footprint at the hens. They're all delivered, or most of them are delivered on the north, and then I go south once a week with a, a load down there. 
had the same customer base for 20 years, so yeah, steady away. And you'll have the same amount of hens throughout every year and produce the same number of eggs there or thereabouts? Yeah, for the best part, Kitty. Um, there's a, a big uh, increase in egg sales uh, for the TT, obviously, and uh, Christmas. Yeah. So we keep extra hens on for, for those two times. And then when the rush is gone, we uh, reduce the flock size yeah. down. There's also, the, the hens are specially bred for the laying. They're purpose-built purpose, purpose built hens. Yeah, yeah, they're, um, we bring them in from across as, uh, as pullets. And uh, yeah, they're only, only used for laying. You wouldn't want to be eating one. <laughs> <laughs> but they're, they're happy hens, you know, they're, they're very approachable. They're friendly, you know, they have a good routine. Yes, they're happy enough, like, we let them out first thing in the morning and they... Uh, uh, do their thing for the best part. The, it's, a, it's a good job in the summer. The winter's a bit poorer, but yeah. uh, you've got to take it as it comes, Kitty, haven't you? Yeah. Well, how do they find the weather? Will you see? Will, will they go out on wet days, or will will they stay in the, the hen house? For the best part, like if it's if it's too wet, we open the doors. It's up to them. Yeah. For the best part, if it's a poor day, they'll stay in. If the weather goes too bad, sometimes it can affect their laying. They mm -hmm. can go off the lay a bit. But I mean, in the summertime, as soon as the doors are open and the sun's shining, oh. they're out. Lovely, lovely yeah. sight first thing in the morning. Yeah, beautiful. Everybody heading off to work, skeeting over the hedge, <laughs> having a look at the hens scratching in the field. But they all don't stay in the one pen, though, by the look of it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. They could give a whole new uh, meaning to the word free range. Uh, uh, I thought free range was outside the hen house. And uh, real, realistically, it's wherever they feel the need to go. Yeah. But it's nice to see, isn't it? It's come a long way since the battery eggs. And, and people like to know that the, the hens are well kept and the welfare is so high here on the Isle of Man. Yes, uh, rightly so, too, um, Kitty. I think it's... Uh, the battery was was good for what it was, you know, after the war, they, they wanted batteries, they needed eggs. Yeah, yeah. Now they've gone into the free range. Everybody's looking for free range or organic, you yeah. know, nobody's interested in any other sort of eggs. And yes, the Isle of Man is, is a good place. Nobody has to travel far for an egg, do they? No, this is it. But also you test for the salmonella, you know, on a, a regular basis. They give us a shout and they come up and take a couple of boxes of eggs, different sizes, different days old, and they test them and then you wait, get the results back. You know what it's like, Kitty, 20 pages and it's the back page tells you you're salmonella free. <laughs> but it's absolutely vital, especially when you have cheap imports in some of these major supermarkets. You best If you're buying a local egg, you're, you nearly always drive past the farm that it was produced on. We can't compete with the price. The shipped in eggs are shipped in from where, who knows, you know, maybe even mainland Europe. And they're cheap, yeah, they're cheap as chips, but really, you pay a bit more, you get a better quality egg, you know that the uh, health status on the Isle of Man is really, it's fantastic. But you've had a, f a few quirky ones over the years, a double shelled one and a triple yolk. Yeah, uh, I think that anybody who's uh, in, in egg production will tell you that they get some funny things. We've had a... Uh, a triple yoga, which we all sat looking at frying in the pan <laughs> and then decided to take a picture. And uh, another one that Leslie smashed open and uh, when he smashed it open inside, it, w it was a complete egg. So, me. yeah, it's God knows what happened there. <laughs> <laughs> but these hens, they lay a regular sized egg every, every day for you. You know, the, the different sizes, small, medium or large, but you st tend to stick to the larger ones. Yeah, the demand is for the large kitty. Um, the mediums are a bit harder to, to get shut off, but you know, you know you've only got them for a certain amount of time where they're mm -hmm. laying them. As soon as they move on to the large eggs, you, you don't have a problem getting rid of them. The small eggs, uh, medium and then obviously large, but 
Yeah, it's the large everybody's sorting after. And also, you'll feed them specially produced pellets or grain for, for the production of these type of eggs? Yes, we have uh, uh, layers pellets, which is obviously shipped in like everything. And uh, through the Alaman farmers, they deliver it down every week for us. And you wouldn't believe how much a hen eats, Kenny. <laughs> <laughs> Recently, they had the, the major problem in the UK with the avian flu. Has this affected us here on the Isle of Man? Well, Defo were uh, hot off the mark and, and informed us when the avian flu broke out in the UK, uh, in Europe and onto the UK. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they're, they're really good. So um, we're not actually in the flight path of the migrating birds, but we did keep them in for the first week or so. But... There comes a time they've got to be let out. It's a difficult one to judge, but obviously it has no effect to humans whatsoever. It is just to the poultry themselves. Yes, it is just to the poultry, Kitty, but I, I think sometimes uh, the, the, the best thing about the Isle of Man is its location, yeah. and I think, I think hopefully, fingers crossed, it'll skip past us. With all the luck in the world anyway. What's the plans for the coming years? Are you going to carry on selling from the farm gate in the local stores? Have you got any other, other ideas? No, just steady, really. Um, I don't think that the kids are much interested in the Almaden scratches, but uh, <laughs> it's got to be. Uh, I don't. I don't mind the hens. It's a little bit of income, isn't it? You know, yeah. and it gets me out off the farm and out round visiting different people and one thing and another. But yeah, just it's just nice to keep it as it is, kid. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it. And and local people are good to support you, and that's the main thing. Yeah, I I can't uh, praise the the locals enough. The local stores, like I say, same customer base for twenty years. Uh, people coming back time and time again to the gate and yeah without them kitty i wouldn't have a business <laughs> that was jackie farragher from bolasir in andreas she's setting a fine example there kitty she <laughs> certainly is the hens are very happy and uh, it's nice to see them out in the field scratching around though free range is it's definitely a good way forward yeah and they're always it's quite nice because every farm has hen not so many oh, yeah. as they used to be i suppose but every farm when i was a kid always had a few hens regardless and and they, they were so used to them scratching around weren't they just ah, <laughs> you're in the noise you sort of missed them when they went well that's right yeah. we still have quite a few at our place but um they do make a heck of a mess in the garden and such like but they are lovely to have about and we do get a good few eggs off them yeah, yeah, they're very productive I hens. know, and of course the difference. Um, so so much, I mean, people before thought, oh, well, just get the cheapest eggs we can. But there is, I don't care what anybody says, to me there's such a difference between the, the free-range ones and the battery ones sort of thing, isn't there? Oh, there certainly is. And like Jackie says, we're salmonella tested on the Isle of Man. You know, we know exactly where these eggs are coming from, especially from the farm gate where, where they're produced. It's nothing nicer than local. No, oh, battery ones. Yeah. Tickle your tongue when you put them on, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> well, sheep, you know a lot about that, Kiri. Um, not so much on the hillsides, though, are you? No, no. Um, and a bit of the shelter where you are. Um, but Anna Karouche from Mackled, uh, she's got a lot of sheep and a lot of land up the north of the Isle of Man. And quite a bit of it is on the slopes of uh, North Barule and round uh, the mountain roadside of the TT course. I popped along to have a word with Anna to find out particularly how things have been going at this time of year, high up on the hills. <laughs> Very good. We've had a bit of a mild concern this week about the snow. 
unfortunately came to nothing. We put lots of hay feed blocks out on Wednesday up on the mountain road and relieved to have not had anything come of it. But you've been the victim, I suppose, in the past where the forecasts have said, well, there probably won't be any snow and, and there isn't, so maybe it's best to be prepared. Yeah, we take any snow forecast quite seriously. Obviously, four years ago, 2013, we were all caught out, forecast a lot of rain and it came as two days of snow. Hopefully that's a one-off event that we'll never see again. We're still not quite stocked up again since that snow, actually. Lots of sheep that we imported, they were strong, healthy sheep, but they haven't taken to our hills very well. So we had to bring some of them down to the lowland again. Is it tough with different breeds or is it just the same breeds depending on what, they, what their sort of genes are used to, maybe? Yeah, I think so. If touch wood, we'll never have anything like that again. But... I would say we would have been better to breed up from what stock we had left rather than import. I think just the different ground, possibly a bit wetter here than where they came from in the north of England, possibly the tick challenge. We had, because they had to do six months quarantine when they were imported, the move from the lowland onto the hills was a challenge for them as well. So it was lots of challenges and some of them coped and some didn't. So. Well, what, what can you do? We'll, we'll look at the worst case scenario. Probably snow is the worst one, is it? Yeah. For example, last year it was very wet, dreadful wet winter, very hard on the lowland sheep, but the hill ewes actually coped quite well. I think the lowland, the ground tend to get muddy, churned up. They were just wet and muddy all winter, whereas the hill ewes free draining didn't worry them too much and then this winter all the sheep have had an exceptionally good winter so far it's been amazingly dry mild and perfect for sheep as the shepherd i suppose that makes it a bit easier on your own body yeah it certainly does as uh, this time last year i couldn't bear another day of rain but it's everybody seems a lot happier this time this year yeah that's one of the things I suppose the general public who, who have nothing to do with it don't really grasp that you can't sit in the house with the central heating at 30 degrees thinking ah, the sheep will be all right tonight you know when there's bad weather forecast you've just got to do it haven't you? Yeah yeah it's all weathers um, particularly on the hills it's a way of life that can't really change that much it's you've still got to gather those hills can use quad bikes on certain areas but lots of it is so steep it still is walking with a dog and a crook and we improve and modernize where we can but it is a very traditional way of life and the weather is a big part of it so it's very labor intensive when we're working on the hills which again I think lots of people don't grasp when we go and gather particularly when there's lambs in the summer we need probably five people maybe three or four in the winter when there are no lambs around and that, that biggest hill, we do it over three days because it's too much for the dogs to get it all in in one go. It's a long job. Would you go up on your own? No, certainly mm. not. The, just the, the area, and you need a lot of people to cover the ground. And then when, when those hill ewes are in, any work is quite a big job just because of the numbers. So, for example, shearing or weaning, anything like that, it needs a lot of, of help and... Um, Finding help actually can be quite difficult because there's lots of people keen to drive tractors but there's not so many people keen to walk about the hills chasing sheep.
do you know all the different dangers and gorges and ditches up there by now or is there still places you get to and went wow I didn't notice that was there <laughs> yeah that can happen um a few years ago actually I found a telegraph pole on the top of Barul so it's funny how you can trip over something that you've never seen before no idea how that ever got there but you find little old crofts and stone pens and kind of things like that that you just haven't stumbled over in cases of bad weather when you do have to go up there I mean have you got contingency plans? You got the, the tent strapped to the back of you or <laughs> you got any little hides that you know about where you can sort of go in, in, in the dire case of emergency? Yeah, um, I have. In 2013, I did consider that if needs be, we could break into the um, marshal's huts on the, on the mountain road as it deteriorates so quickly that while we're up there, it was getting to be a struggle to get home, but we did. And contingency-wise for the sheep, we, if we, like this week, we considered whether we needed to gather, bring them to lower ground, get feed out to them. But we decided that there wasn't enough of a snow forecast, any risk to justify that gather. What about, if, you know, if it is forecast, do you, sort of, do you bring a bit more um, food up for them or is, it, or is it a pointless task in a way? No, we, this week, for example, we knew it was going to be a cold week and just in case we did put hay up the mountain road so the sheep were all well fed just in case the road did get blocked which it's not that unusual for the road to be closed we've been a few times the last few years where it's been drifted across so we're always prepared for that to happen and how many of you got up there to the nearest five (laughs) (laughs) um we're about 1800 at the moment on three different blocks so it takes a bit of looking after and uh, like we were saying about before it's just not a job where you can throw a bit of oats out like hens and things like that and forget about it is it no no certainly not they're pretty smart like this week they a lot of the ewes had come down lower so they knew that the weather was going to be bad and those below the mountain road can obviously get a lot lower than those that are above the mountain road. But they know where the shelter is and they know how to look after themselves quite well. So have you been spoilt with the last few recently decent winters then? We have, yeah. The last year the, the lambing was actually down a bit because the weather at tupping time was so bad. The tups had a tough November in the rain and December. <laughs> the cold effects them too. <laughs> they didn't much fancy any romance. So we had a few less lambs weaned September this year, but they've had an exceptionally good tupping season this year. The tups have hardly had rain on them. So hopefully that'll come through in the lambing this spring. So you're not ready to, to throw the towel in and pack up and sell all the sheep yet? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's um, it's a very challenging time at the moment and we certainly are considering cutting back. We struggle. The lamb price here has been between 72 and 82% of the UK and we can't carry on producing below the cost of production. So... It's a fine balance because we want to manage the hills and we want to maintain that heather for the public benefits, a rare habitat, but we can't continue to do it for so little. So, tough decisions to make. There we are, Anna Karouche, who farms a lot of the hills up the north of the island, around the Mackel area, uh, with the sheep up on the hills and just... Sort of the difficult time of year, you know, with the weather we've had or was predicted and the weather we've had in the past, it's such a worry because it's such a big area and 
as she said, it's so much of it is difficult to access straight away. You know, you've got oh, to go such it. a long way round places, haven't you? And I suppose it could be very dangerous with all the gullies and gorges amongst it as well. And I suppose you've uh, you've got to know your way around, haven't you, really? Mm, experience counts, I think. Absolutely. <laughs> Manx Radio's Countryside is brought to you by NFU Mutual. Recently, the Manx Grassland Society had their annual awards, and I went along to speak to David Wilde, the judge, and also the chairman, Michael Convig. The judge has been over David Wilde from the UK, and uh, we've been going around nine farms and looking to see who has the best clamp silage. But it's not just silage, though, uh, Michael. You also have other range of competitions within this one. Yeah, well, there's big bale silage, there's hay, there's also grassland management, so there's a little bit in it for everyone, and uh, we would welcome anyone to take part if they ever wanted to. And also, it's it's not just all about the grass or the plant. It is also the contractors that actually do the work as well. You've got prizes for them as well. Yeah, we have a prize for the best contractor who makes the highest analysed silage of the year. So yeah, he gets his very own trophy as well. But it's, it's very difficult to get the contractor when you need him, I imagine. You know, everybody we want to do it at the same time. Yeah, well that is a slight issue, but then there's other people, they do their own silage, so that makes it easier. So yeah, but generally everyone sticks to the same queue as they do every year, <laughs> so you've got to wait your turn. And has it been a good year generally? Has David noticed a good trend with the farms he's visited? Yeah, we've seen some really good silage, some nice tidy pits and uh, It'll be interesting to see the results. And uh, forthcoming events? We have our AGM later in the spring and then we will also be having a walk around the winner of the overall silage competition. Well, we'll wait and see what that goes like. David Wilde, you the main pit silage judge for the whole of the occasion for the Manx Grassland Society. Yes, it's been a, an honour to be invited across uh, to do this this year and uh, thanks to McEwen Hollage for, for bringing me over. Uh, it's been a while since I was last on the island and great to see uh, some new farms this time as well as uh, meeting up with some old friends from uh, my previous occasions. But what were you looking for in particular? Because every farm differs, I imagine. Absolutely. Uh, for me, one of the main things going around the farms the, these last couple of days has been uh, looking at how well the, the silage has been compacted how well it's staying in the pit, is it spoiling, uh, and, and really sort of get, trying to get a feel from, from all the, the, the farmers, what their attitude to, to silage making, how important is it to them, what's their key driver for making good silage. And I imagine every farmer is after a different thing as well, you probably come across beef, sheep, dairy farms. Yes, you know, everyone wants to make the best silage they possibly can, but it's very important to make the right silage for the type of stock that you're feeding. So leafier, higher quality silage for the dairy cows, uh, and maybe the, the milking ewes and finishing beef. But we've seen a lot of, uh, sort of for dry cows and suckler cows, stemmier, older grass, not so rich, more belly fill. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that, that keeps them going without uh, causing too many problems. And you're obviously seeing different different clamps around the Isle of Man. But what were you looking for? The neatness in these farms? You know, how, how, what do you look for exactly? For me, yeah, very much neatness, cleanliness, how clean the face is. I don't want to see silage, big holes <laughs> and, and air pockets in there. <laughs> Uh, and, and getting hands on, how does it smell, how was the temp, is it heating up uh, and as I say just how well compacted it is, that's one of the, the, the key drivers for me. And is it all visual or do you actually have implements that can help you to judge this competition? On, on this occasion I've been, uh, it's very much been, been visual, uh, we do have already had the, the silage analysis been carried out so we've oh, got the nutrition uh, data already. 
And then also discussing with the farmers how well are they using the silage, the feeding systems, and the performance they're getting from their stock uh, gives us a better idea and understanding of how good that silage actually is in practice. But it's obviously vital to get the right conditions to harvest the grass in back in the springtime. Is there an ultimate date that we need to be looking at maybe? No, in a word. Uh, it, it's very much the, the day that's right for your farm and that particular field, if, if I'm honest. So I know there's a lot of guys like to be the first uh, to go and we see that everywhere. Uh, and yeah, for, for that farm, that might be the right, the right time to go. But his neighbour, it may not be so uh, <laughs> care is needed absolutely and how does the Isle of Man farms compare to the farms you'll see obviously with your with your job you'll be going around a lot of the UK farms in many respects very similar uh, everyone's got the same goal in, in, in terms of what they're trying to achieve obviously there's big differences in the, in the feeding systems because of not wanting to bring uh, yeah, product sure. onto the island which is quite understandable so that brings different challenges in, in the feeding out uh, but in terms of silage making and such like, very, very similar. Uh, I suppose the biggest factor is on, on the whole, probably most farms are just a little bit smaller. Uh, but ultimately that makes no difference to, to what we're doing just now. Has it been mainly dairy farms that you visited here on the island? No, we're uh, quite a good mix of beef and dairy. Uh, so we're seeing all, all, all stock. And silage pits, um, they all often have like different, different styles. There's some with concrete walls, some with earth banks. Does this make a marked difference on the results? It can do. Uh, more in terms of what we see down the shoulders of the clamp, uh, where we can get quite big differences in the uh, consolidation, how well it's been compacted because of how, how close to the edge of a concrete wall will somebody dare drive. Yeah, sure. Uh, so we do tend to see some better results on the sort of sloped walls, whether they be earth bank or concrete. If they're sloped, we tend to get slightly better compaction there than on a vertical wall. And is it mostly grass silage or will there be whole crop as well? For the, for the purposes of this judging, it's just been grass silage, but the principles are the same for whole crop or to be any forage crop that we're putting into a clamp, exactly the same principles. And you're also a keen supporter of the vitamins and minerals that are involved with the growing of grass. Have you seen the island's samples differ from the UK? Sadly, I've not seen enough samples from the island, and it's something I'd really like to get to the bottom of, because I know certainly in various parts of the UK, southwest Scotland, Cornwall, for example, where they're nearer the coasts, we see quite big differences to more inland areas of England. So I think that's something across the island we could do with seeing a few more results to, to get a better handle on what's going on here. That was David Wilde, the judge from the Manx Grassland Society's awards, and Michael Convig, the chairperson. You wouldn't believe... There were so many awards involved in, in the grassland, would you? Well, this is right. They have a, a competition for pretty much every form of production now, even down to the best contractor that actually reaps these crops for them. It's a really, really good organisation to be involved in. And I know that you know everyone moans about the grass in the garden, they have to cut it, but there's such a um, technique, really, to, to producing fine grass for, for animal grazing and silage and things, isn't there? Oh, there certainly is. Yeah. And, and they're developing seeds all the time to produce the, the ultimate grass. But uh, a lot of work goes in to producing this grass but from the ploughing to the cultivating to the actual getting the fertiliser balance right and also the harvest of it. But it's vital because you need it for your actual mm -hmm. milk production or your production of beef. So to a business, it's essential to get it right. Yeah, just such a difference, isn't it, with the dairy cows, with the 
with the good grass and the and the poor grass, you know, depending on the seasons. So, oh, certainly yeah. a marked difference in the yeah. milk production. And John Cayley was one of the masters of the grass as well. He but, certainly uh, was. But just before we go, just time to mention the 80th Kronkavody ploughing match. Yes, that's happening Saturday the 21st of January at Balakilmura on the Poor Town Road by kind permission of Mr B Killier. It starts at 10.30 in the morning and finishes, it says, at 3.15 prompt. Prize presentation, concert and supper at the Methodist Hall in St John's will follow at 7.45 and the concert to be chaired by Mrs Dot Tilbury, MBE. Manx Radio's Countryside is brought to you by NFU Mutual. There we are, this week's Countryside. Eggs, sheep... Uh, so we've got the eggs and the bacon. <laughs> We're not going to get much grass to go with it, I suppose, unless we... Cress. Um, yeah, that's it. But all uh, in the week of countryside. So Kiri and myself will be back next week with more. So until then, for me, Simon Clark. And me, Kiri Kermit. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Don't sit in the slow lane. Join the fast lane right now with Shaw's all-new Superfast Plus Broadband. Enjoy more bandwidth, amazing speeds and the best value on the island from just £23.95 per month. So don't be left behind. Get a piece of the high-speed action with Superfast Plus Broadband from Shaw. For details, visit our stores in Douglas, Ramsey and Port Erin or click shaw.com. Love being Shaw. Terms and conditions apply.